Welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I'm joined by Leslie. Hello! Uh, and not Jacob. Jacob is a loser. <laughs> He's still out on his camping trip, being fun in the outdoors. Oh, well. Well, we did consider taking over the whole podcast uh, without him and just talking about Spirit Island for 45 minutes. We definitely considered that. <laughs> but we thought maybe that would not be as so much fun for you all to listen to as it would be for us to converse about but maybe someday i mean i feel like our enthusiasm <laughs> would be contagious right that's true that is true and don't worry we will talk a little bit about spirit island yes <laughs> yes um overall though the review that we're going to be doing today is a game called path of light and shadow but first we are going to talk about what we've been playing as well as a con report. Yeah. Uh, so, Leslie, you and your husband had a chance to go to Gen Con. Yes. Which was like a month ago now. Almost. Um, almost, yeah. But this is the first time you've been back since you went. So how was that? It was great. Um, this was our fifth Gen Con together. Um, we'd both been prior to that before but uh so we kind of have a system down we have our people down this was the first time i got to go in uh, the dealer's hall early okay um so there's a early admission for vig which is very important gamer Uh yes as well as press and whatnot and uh, a friend of mine got a vig badge and he gave me his ticket to get in um, and it was funny because I didn't have anything specific that I was like every year prior, there's been some game that I really, or, or promo or something that I wanted to get. And this year I just didn't really have anything I was super excited about. So I, uh, I went and I wandered around. I picked up my little scythe for my niece. Oh, nice. Uh, I'm making Hunter paint the miniatures. So I'm really excited about that. And I just walked around and kind of waited. And then I, you know, got to be on the other side of the doors to watch all the people rush in, <laughs> which was pretty cool. Um, saw a bunch of other podcasters that I'm like, oh, I know you from the internet, but you don't know who I am. <laughs> Someday, maybe. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah, you know, so, and there's a lot of, you kind of look familiar, but I, uh, so, you know, a lot of that, and, uh, but, but it was pretty fun to watch all the rush of people coming in, and right. then, you know, we played games for four days. I That's, <laughs> that's the dream. Yeah. Right there. Yeah. So. Someday you will, you will see Gen Con. Someday. Uh, so you mentioned you were a VIG, very important gamer. Well, uh, my friend was, but yes. Uh, well, yeah, and you you traded up. Um, did you still have to stand in line? Because my next question is predicated on this. I, I did. Okay. I did have to stand in line to get in. Did you make friends in that line? <laughs> I chatted with some people. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, I chatted with a few people um, in that line, and you know, I made friends in uh, in the dealers hall and. And stuff like that. Friends but, left and right. I new mean, people, new connections. Yeah. It's kind of what we do. It's your stick. Yeah. yeah. No, that's good. That's good. I mean, I feel like that's a good way to have a very enriching con experience. Yeah. So. Yes, you're, I'm assuming, referring to how I made friends with even the security guard at Origins. Yeah. Among <laughs> other things and other people. Yeah. You know, just uh, that's kind of how you guys do. And I think it's really great. I it think is, it's fantastic. It is easier at Origins. For that experience, Gen Con, I feel like unless you sit down at a game to play with someone that you don't know, mm-hmm. you don't get more than like five to ten minutes. To everybody's kind of in a hurry to go to the next thing. Sure. Whereas Origins is a little bit less fast paced, so I, I do find that I don't get to spend quality time with new people as much as I do at Origins, which is part of the reason we started going to Origins. Huh. Interesting. 
Interesting that you, you know, over time you sort of notice these yeah. these differences. Yeah. And then you mentioned podcasters. Speaking of podcasters, I think I saw a video that you posted. Yeah. That was from a panel with the guys from the letters page. Yes. Which, how was that? Um, That was pretty cool. So as I've mentioned before, Sentinels is one of my favorite games. And um, prior to joining Dragon's Demise, I started listening to the letters page podcast. And if you like Sentinels, I highly recommend it because they just deep dive into this world that they've created over you know their entire lives basically (laughs) and it's really funny because like a couple minutes into the podcast you're like well they're talking about these characters like there's actually comic books for them did i did i miss something are that they're they're mentioning issue numbers (laughs) and you haven't missed anything there are no comic i mean they've come out with like one but there's not a whole comic series. These issues don't exist. But they know, like, and apparently at some point they put post-it notes of, like, the chronology of all of them and, and everything. Well, I was going to say, there's probably, a like, a cork board in someone's basement with yeah. the push pins and the red string and the... I think one of their listeners has actually started putting together, like, a, a spreadsheet. But Oh, wow. Um, I am not that dedicated. I am a fan. <laughs> I'm, I do not have that kind of time. In any case, uh, so they, they do Letters Page Live mm-hmm. now at Gen Con. I think this was the second year they did it, maybe the third. But okay. I think it's the second. So they did a live show, and it was pretty cool because... Uh, first of all, they had live, the music for the podcast was played live. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and the they had someone, I think his name is John Mark. He had created a whole different version of their theme song, which is very catchy, by uh-huh. the way. And then, you know, all the live questions. And there was a, uh, there was a little girl who got up to ask a question and she was like, and my forum name is Marshmallow on a Cloud. And my question is, tell me about friendships in the multiverse. And Aww. I was like, you are my favorite person right now. That's so cute. <laughs> it was adorable. And I just love seeing future generations of gamers mm-hmm. getting passionate. She was also dressed as Unity. so Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, that is a child who's going places. Yes, absolutely. I missed the um, costume contest. The Sentinels costume contest is always a good time. I believe it. Well, because those costumes are so cool and so just mm-hmm. like vivid. Right. You know, so that's fantastic. Did you get a chance to ask a question? And if so, was it about Tachyon? <laughs> well, if I had, it would have been. Okay. But no, I didn't. All right. Well, uh, I was 50% right. Yeah, I, I definitely would have asked about Tachyon. Uh, I did go back and talk to, the next day, uh, Hunter and I went and talked to Christopher and Adam and told them about how Baron Blade interrupted our wedding. Okay, so, I imagine they would like that story. Yes, yeah, so we noticed there was no one in their signing line, and we were like, we would have this thing for you to sign, but it was it's lost in, <laughs> into oblivion. That's a joke for any Sentinels people out there because Oblivion is that. Anyway, I don't want to explain it. It's, it's, a, it's a very esoteric joke. So there was a, a giant Baron Blade card that was made for our wedding. And, you know, when the officiant said, does anyone have any reason why these two should not be wed? They suddenly pulled out the card. And then all of the um, guests had power-ups in their programs so they used their power-ups to get rid of baron blade in the middle of the wedding absolutely delightful yeah absolutely you guys yeah they thought it was pretty good so but the card we left the card at the castle to be signed which i believe christopher when he was there 
shortly after our wedding, signed it, and then um, the new innkeepers of the castle misplaced it. Right, and, right. And we don't know whatever happened to it, and we haven't gotten it reprinted, so. That's a shame. Yeah, maybe next gen kind. <laughs> if, it, uh, if it all comes together. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you had a wonderful time. Yeah, uh, it was a good time. thank you very much for, for giving us a download, giving us a con report. Yes, absolutely. Uh, besides that, and since then, I suppose, given the amount of time, uh, what have we been playing? What have you been playing? Um, well, uh, Lowlands, most recently. The game about sheep. Yes, because knitting sheep. Right, appropriate. Um, yeah, Hunter was like, I should have known you were going to win this game. <laughs> it's about sheep. Uh, I played Lowlands. I thoroughly enjoy it. If you are into Euros, I highly recommend it. It's okay. uh, got a really cool push-pull mechanic of you can deal with the dike and building up the dike to prevent the water from coming in and destroying your sheep. Mm-hmm. Or you can focus on your sheep. But like if you focus on the dike and somebody else focuses on the sheep and you keep the dike up, then you're increasing the value of the sheep. So you might be helping the other person win. So there's like this kind of careful balance right of do i invest in sheep or do i invest in the dike i kind of have you kind of have to do a little of both right Um, and i i was reading the rules because you had talked about playing this with us um and i was i was looking over the rules and i saw that it has that sort of popular mechanic where if the if all the players are successful at keeping the dike up and the water out then the player who contributed the most gets a bonus right but if you're not successful then the player who contributed the least gets a penalty right uh, which is a mechanic that i've seen before and i think it's a fairly a fairly appropriate way to sort of address that issue because if you're just a freeloader and focusing yeah. too much on your sheep and like haha profit right then you're just gonna get slammed with this this penalty when the dike collapses right right so highly recommend uh, i would like to see how it plays out with more than two people mm. because there's a a buy sell like market mechanic that okay. you can only buy and sell so many sheep uh, based on how many other people have bought and sold sheep interesting which huh. i don't want to get too much into right now but in in a two-person game you can never sell more than potentially three sheep at a time oh, and we okay. never bought sheep because unlike every other euro game <laughs> you get one sheep for every two sheep you have oh wow Right. So usually, like, you have three, four, five, six animals, you get one new one, right? Mm-hmm. In this one, if you have eight sheep, you get four more sheep. That's some but really efficient breeding. you have to have space to put them. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, this sounds fantastic. I love euros, and I yeah. am we'll not definitely play it. unfond of sheep. So. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to love sheep as much as I do to play this game and enjoy it, I think, so... Well, there you go. Be on the lookout for us to talk about Lowlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition, I had a chance to play Spirit Island. I say a chance. I played it solo, so I always have a chance. Um, but I demolished. Uh, I was playing the the Beasts-centric spirit from uh, Branch and Claw, the expansion, and it was just remarkable. My my particular play style tends to be fairly methodical and fear-heavy, Yep. so it's very rare that I win earlier than terror level three yeah so same. I, you know i just go through and i i pick off people where i can even you know bringers one of my favorite spirits so i frequently just terror level victory but with sharp fangs the beast focused spirit i was on it i was just moving <laughs> around the island you know your ability to move presence at the same time as you move your beasts yeah and it's to, pretty cool like just have the beasts strike out at 
you know, your opponents means that you can be in and out lightning fast uh, and just lock people down. So that was a blast. Uh, and I actually got to play it on a different day with some friends. Oh, nice. So that was that was fun. Uh, we had an enjoyable time playing that. My One of my friends who had only ever played the starter, sort of the four basic spirits. Yep played Ocean's Hungry Grasp. Nice. So that was very different for him. Yeah. Uh, and he, he had some fun exploring that. But I love Spirit Island. Always happy to get to play it. Yeah. I, I did get to teach Spirit Island at Gen Con, which was a highlight for sure. I love teaching that game. And I always insist on teaching it to new people, uh, people who haven't played it before with a starter spirit. Right. And it's inevitably everyone is always like no i've played a lot of games i have a lot of game experience and i'm like this is the best way to learn this game if you're gonna want me to teach you i'm happily to teach you but you need to use one of the starter spirits and um inevitably they always thank me in the end (laughs) so um and that's how i taught you and jacob too so yep and that was absolutely the right call yeah other than that uh, i haven't played many games because I have been planning uh, and successfully throwing yesterday a Harry Potter surprise party. So if you ever need to know how to make some floating candles or turn your basement into the Chamber of Secrets, I am here for you. You went all out. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. We only had nine days to plan, but I think we did well with our nine days. I, I mean, an actual Chamber of Secrets and floating candles? Yeah, it certainly, <laughs> certainly sounds that way. And the cake like Hagrid had in the first movie. Oh, so, perfect. I'm a purist, so. Perfect. Yeah. So that's what's been going on in my life. Well, there you go. That's what's been going on in her life. That's what we've been playing. And here we go. Time for the main event, our review of Path of Light and Shadow. Path of Light and Shadow is a deck-building, territory-control, weird amalgamation game uh, for two to four players that is, I think, a lot of fun. Um, But we're going to go through it and talk a little bit about how all of the mechanics work. So you, at the core of it, have cards that you can do things with. Yes, Uh, and I'm going to tell you about those card actions. So uh, you draw cards throughout the game, and we'll talk more about how you obtain those cards in a little bit. But um, the cards have two resources on them, uh, hammers and swords, and those allow you to do different things based on different card actions available to you, based on what the card does or um, if you want to take a different action. So you can use those hammers, usually, Uh, to build up buildings on a player board that you also are provided and the player board will make things easier for you different bonuses like building with one less hammer type thing or ultimately extra victory points in the end oh sorry victory points are called influence (laughs) in this game um You can also use those uh, hammers and swords to promote, uh, improve on the cards that you have in your hand based on the different factions available. Um, And I know we keep saying we're going to talk about this in a second, but we'll talk more about those factions in a little bit. Um, And then you can also use the call action, which is your standard deck building, remove a card from your deck so that you don't have too many cards sort of situation Um, that however, is attached to a morality track. Which, guess what? We're going to get to in just a minute. It's it's cliche, but I do promise we'll tackle all of these things. (laughs) Yes, 
there's a lot to this game because it's a, such an amalgamation of different things. Different parts of the game are attached to diff- other different parts in very unique ways. Right. So those are all sort of actions that interact most heavily with things that aren't on the board. So the cards in your hand, your personal player board. There are also actions that you can perform that are much more geared towards the player board. So every player will have an avatar, a little character um, that inhabits the map, which is divided into provinces. And on your turn, once per turn, you can move to an adjacent province. And each province has a fortification in it, which has different strengths based on the number of uh, actual physical fortifications present. But you can, so you can move your your character to a different province once per turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can also conquer. So when you conquer, you declare that the territory where your character currently is, is your target. And you make an attack against that territory by playing cards from your hand that have swords you play those cards and once you've selected them you reveal them if you're playing against uh, a controlled territory which is to say that someone actually owns that or you just play them face up if you're against an uncontrolled territory and the number of swords that each card has governs how the attack is made so let's say that i play a card with four and a card with three and a card with one instead of just having eight attack power for that attack i get the lower two, the one and the three, has their attack power, and the highest one that I played actually gives me a number of dice to roll, each die having a variable amount of swords and something called ruin, which is how you end up destroying fortifications. Once my cards are played, and once my opponent's cards are played, if there's a defender, then we compare, we roll our dice, we add all our swords together, and whoever wins, wins. Uh, once you conquer a territory successfully, you get to put a little flag on top of the fortifications there, and then you recruit, which is to add more cards to your deck from the type of province that you inhabit. So there's four different types of provinces, and each deck has different probabilities for the types of factions that you can gain there. Also on your turn, if you have met certain prerequisites you can obtain an ally and those allies stay with you for the rest of the game they can only be earned by one person uh, and they give you an extra benefit and those are randomized based on you know to give you extra replayability with the game so they could be different based on every different game exactly and then finally once you're done with all of the actions on your turn which isn't limited by a number of actions you have it's just limited by the cards in your hand you move to your end step so Discard your cards, redraw up to five, and based on where your character's currently located, you recruit from that province. You recruit one person by default, or you can recruit a second person if you're willing to take additional mercy, which brings us back to that morality mechanic that we promised we would talk about. All right. So how does this all work? So morality, uh, it's probably my one of my favorite aspects of the game. Uh, the morality track has uh, 12 steps on each side. You start in the middle, and you kind of can dictate what type of game you want to play. If you want to be more attacky and more call cards a lot from your deck and go straight down the cruelty path, you can play that game. Uh, And if you want to play a more merciful, more benevolent type (laughs) game, you can track down the mercy track. So if you gain extra people, you're taking care of extra people, um, then you earn mercy. And if you are culling cards from your deck or taking other types of actions, then you can potentially gain cruelty. And if you ever hit 12, hit the top of either track, then you gain one influence or one victory point if you 
would gain mercy or cruelty and cannot. Uh, so it can, if you rush to the end of one of the tracks, can help you build up extra victory points in the game. Yeah, it definitely behooves you to really move towards one end or the other. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it played where someone didn't pick a particular path and just gun it. Right. Or, or at least stay steady on that particular track. Right, because there are also cards and buildings and things that interact with those things as well. You know, you might play a card that says, if you have at least six mercy, gain this additional benefit. So it's, um, yeah, you definitely find that people run towards either end based on which strategy they want to play. And getting back to those factions, the different factions are typically drawn more towards um, one or the other. So the hordes of Zerd, for example, are much more uh, towards the cruelty side of the track. Um, they, they, there are definitely cards in that faction who that kind of force you to gain the cruelty. Um, they're definitely more bloodthirsty. The art is very like barbarian in the winter fighting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean, they are a horde after all. They are a horde. Yeah. That's fair. Uh, and then by contrast, a faction like the Sigilborn is much more towards a merciful building-focused game. You know, they get lots of benefits if you have X number of buildings already. If you have, you know, a minimum amount of mercy, they get stronger and stronger. And one sort of aspect of a build-focused strategy, a merciful strategy, is that a lot of times that includes not just buildings on your player board, but also increasing your level of fortification to defend yourself against the rampaging hordes of Zerd right. that the conquering player to your left is playing. Right. And then there's also the completely random Numerai. Yes. Numerai are really, really interesting in terms of the game's lore uh, and also mechanically. Yeah. They, uh, if you choose to gain, uh, promote your Numerai, if you choose to promote any of your other cards, you get to choose what you're promoting. But if you promote one of your basic Numerai in your deck, you don't get to choose. You just right. draw off the top. So, um, and most of those Numerai characters have a morality benefit. So if you are on the mercy track, they give you one option. And if you're on the cruelty track, they give you a different option. Typically, I, I don't know that I've seen any that don't do that, but I think there are. Yeah, I I don't know that I've seen them either, but they do at the very least do a really good job of making sure that every numerai you promote gives you at least some something that you can do. Yeah, it's actually pretty exciting to randomly choose your... your um, kind of spirit guide they're 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 they cost more to promote you can only promote them once you can't promote to a third tier but it can help dictate your strategy if Mm -hmm. you get a couple of those early game too yeah absolutely and an early game numerai can really swing the game in your favor and then scoring at the end of the game you're going to be scoring but also the game is played out over three years each year comprised of four seasons at the end of each year you gain points based on the territories, the excuse me, the provinces and realms that you control. So uh, each province has one of four types of terrain, you might say, realm. Um, and if you control a province, that's worth X points. And if you control over half of the provinces of a particular realm type, you get more points as well. And that number of points is going to increase. So at the end of year one, it might be you know, six at the end of year two, it's 12. And mm-hmm. at the end of year three, it's 18. And then also at the end of the game, you score points based on your cards. Every most cards, at least, have inherent point values. A lot of buildings, especially the maximum tier buildings, 
will give you points if you meet certain preconditions, and then various miscellaneous points on, for example, your allies, or certain cards give you end game scoring conditions as well. Yep, and you win by getting the most points. Who'd have thunk? I know, it's revolutionary. Totally novel. Yep. But yeah, that is, I mean, that's the rules. That's how the game is played. So how do we, how do we feel about the game, like in terms of gameplay? So this is not one of my favorite games, I'm going to be honest. Uh, It's a safe space here. Yeah. So I feel like I've, when I play this game, you know, I, I draw cards and I take the actions given to me based on which random cards that I draw. And it's funny because I think that drawing a random numeri is pretty cool, but the random recruit action frustrates me to no end because a lot of times I'll be desperate for a particular type of, say, Sigilborn because I typically take the Mercy route. That's how I play. It's okay. Me too. Uh, yeah. So um, Hunter will take turns, but uh, I, I typically take the Mercy route. And, you know, I'll be searching for this one type of Sigilborn character and it's just not showing up in my cards and there's absolutely no, nothing strat- strategic I can do about it and I can't move forward because I don't have that card or I don't have the other things. So I sort of default to doing whatever I can based on what cards show up, which, to be fair, is a problem with a lot of deck builders. Yes. Um, The first deck builder I played was the DC Comics deck building game, which I don't know if you've played, but we call it the process because you (laughs) literally just process through cards. Oh, I have this many punches and this many kicks. I can do this thing. That is the one action I can take on my turn. It is now your turn and you can claim the one card you can claim and we go through it. Like, it was really funny because it was the first deck builder I had ever played and I didn't quite understand it wasn't explained to me that the deck building was the game Mm. so i thought we were claiming cards and then at some point we would have the deck and then we would play the game but no no building the deck was the whole game and i and i do like a lot there are several deck builders i do enjoy now but at the time i just was like this is ridiculous so i feel like this suffers from a little bit of that right and the theme just isn't there for me. So. Yeah, I, I could see that. I think for me, you know, I this is a game that I really enjoy. It's got, I, I've always liked deck builders. You know, Dominion was one of the first games that I ever played. And I think this one does an interesting job of introducing some variability into that. I, I think the province decks can be frustrating, mm-hmm. but overall I like the element of randomness that they introduce and sort of, having to position your character in such a way as to get exactly the type of character that you want and then eventually trusting that you know you'll draw into a particular type of thing i think there's a lot of engine building hmm. in in the game especially you know if you're going for a build well i mean honestly for either strategy you know if you're if you're going cruelty conquering strategy you want to make sure that you have a lean mean conquering machine and you want to get rid of everything that doesn't fit with that, but you can't get rid of too much right. because otherwise you'll lose out on, you know, just the ability to build anything. Because there are each each faction has different buildings associated with it. So even the hordes of Zerd has buildings that they're gonna want to build. And if you cull too many things that have high hammers and low swords, you're you're gonna be out of luck. You're not gonna be able to get those sort of power swings in the late game. So I think it's very delicate. But also very rewarding if you can manage to piece together that engine. That's fair. 
That said, even I have to acknowledge uh, that no game is perfect. One of my chief complaints, I think, with this game is that the relative power of any given strategy, thinking about mercy versus cruelty, building versus conquering, is highly dependent on this sort of balance that's introduced by there being other players right? who are playing the opposite thing to you. So if you're playing a build strategy, the only thing preventing you from just going hardcore, put your head down, build the perfect engine, get lucky with a few of your card draws, is having to make defensive concessions to stop getting conquered. And if no one's playing a conquering strategy, then it just comes down to luck and who gets the best cards at the you know at the right time. So I think not having that pressure be inherent to the game, but instead having it be something that the other players have to do is a little bit of a failing. I think because it means you know if everybody at the table wants to play build, yeah, you can do that. But in my opinion, there's a pretty good chance that that's going to lead to a less satisfactory game overall. Right. Because it's going to it's gonna be that much more swingy and that much more luck-based. Right. And I think that's definitely been some of the experience that I've had that I have not enjoyed uh, playing the game. Um, for example, there one of the more recent times I played, you know, I'd already played this game. I already kind of knew I didn't like it. Everybody <laughs> wanted to play Path of Light and Shadow. Fine, I'll play this game with you. It's okay. But I kind of was really lackadaisical about the game. And I was just like, okay, I have this many hammers and this many swords. So I will do these things because that's what that's what the resources in my hand dictate I am able to do. So I will I will do that. And I was really not even paying attention to anybody else in the game. I was just not into it at that point. Mm-hmm. And at one point I was winning. <laughs> like... And one of my friends playing the game was very frustrated that I had more points than he did because he was really considering his strategy and being really focused. And I think that in all rights, I was not. And I had no right to have... I didn't end up winning the game ultimately, but I I didn't have any... I came close, actually. Like, so it doesn't... It didn't make sense to me that I didn't invest in strategy. I didn't focus on that. I just was like, oh, uh, I guess I can build this building because that's what the cards I have. I'll build that building. Uh, Okay, that's going to give me some victory points. I'll take that action. Uh, The other major failing for me, and this is very personal, so I will give you that caveat, is that the theme doesn't connect to the mechanics for me. Right. So you draw a card and those, you know, and those cards are attached to factions and within the factions, those cards have roles and the things that they do really don't make sense for the roles. Like you have this great art on the cards and these clever names and these factions, but the, the mechanics for what the cards can do don't really make sense for their jobs in a lot of cases. Uh, And that can be really frustrating. So there's just... There's just not enough for me to grab onto theme-wise and connect the themes to the mechanics for me to to grab my attention, ultimately. I really, that's very important to me, the connection between the mechanics and theme. I was telling Greg before we started recording that in my playing of Lowlands, I was very frustrated that I couldn't have both the jam stand and the berry patch because <laughs> they had conflicting mechanics. And while I definitely enjoyed that game, that little moment of, well, why don't the jam stand and the berry <laughs> berry patch go together was frustrating for me. So that's that's how important theme is. And 
there's a huge disconnect. It's not just a minor disconnect, like the berry patch and the jam stand. There's a huge disconnect for me in Path of Light and Shadow. So that's that's a struggle. Yeah, and I think that's that's certainly reasonable. I find, for my own sake, that theme has never really been something that negatively impacts my perception of a game, or usually doesn't negatively impact it. And so, you know, the fact that it's not necessarily intuitive that a person whose title is sigilborn monk or whatever would have an effect of having lots of hammers and being able to build something <laughs> right uh isn't necessarily something that bothers me but i can't absolutely see how it would be uh, for a player who's much more intuition driven and much more theme driven right so perfectly valid overall though i think when it comes time to give this game a rating it's a buy it i i i bought it <laughs> and i don't regret that decision so i feel like i have to give it a buy it um, but actually, this is the only game that I've ever kickstarted, and uh, I, I don't regret that decision at all. I think uh, the components are very solid. I think that the art is gorgeous, and I think that the gameplay is really fantastic. It's it's maybe it's just as simple as matching up with the things that I like to do, but hey, you know everybody's got a favorite style of game that they like to play, and so just the fact that this sort of hits all of those buttons for me, I think is something that makes it really compelling. And I think even with its issues, it does end up firing on all cylinders more often than not. And to be fair, you don't buy a lot of games. It's true. Yeah. So I think that's high praise. Um, for me, it's a skip it. Uh, the, the disconnect with the mechanics and theme is just too strong for me. However, I will say if theme is... If you're not as much of a theme-driven, intuition, I guess, driven player, I would say play it. Um, but my personal rating is, is skip it because it just doesn't hold my attention. It's not interesting to me. I like, you know, puzzles. You know, you could argue that there's not a lot of theme to Euro games, but even there, there's enough theme that there's a puzzle for me to figure out and it grabs my attention. Whereas this just feels like going through the motions. It's not, it's not as bad as the process. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's good. That's comforting. <laughs> yeah, it's it, and and I do agree that the the artwork is beautiful. Um, and the artwork is beautiful. The the game board is beautiful. The little buildings are very cool. Being able to put your little flag on the and the uh, yes, that's building is very satisfying. So I was actually excited to play the game. And I think that when the art and the theme just didn't meet for me, it was a little bit disappointing. Well, there you go. That's uh, our thoughts on Path of Light and Shadow. I think one of the most disparate uh, <laughs> pairs of reviews that, or pairs of ratings that we've ever had on the podcast. Yeah, we do tend to like similar games. And so we tend to review similar games and then we like them. So when Greg said, why don't we review this this game? I said, well, you know, I don't like it. So let's do it. There you go. <laughs> it's refreshing. It's a change of pace. Yeah. Uh, real quick before we go, as is customary, we're going to talk about a few games that we think are similar to Path of Light and Shadow. For me, that's Trains. Uh, not Ticket to Ride, Trains. And this might seem a little weird, certainly considering that the theme is so radically different, but I do think there's a lot of similarity here. Very strong deck-building elements, but with aspects of... It's not territory management as much in Trains, it's more route-building, but really that connection between, okay, I have to build my deck not just to have the best deck, but in order to be able to have an effect on a like a third party on a board you know have an actual physical presence via my deck building i think um those are are a lot of strong similarities between the two games so if you're looking for something 
similar to this sort of hybrid style, but don't necessarily want to go for a fantasy game, whether or not the theme resonates, check out Trains. Cool. So I'll be honest, it was very difficult to think of any other crazy amalgamation deck builder and area control games. Uh, We talked about that for quite a bit before we started recording, and ultimately, uh, for me, it comes down to either deck building or area control. So if you're looking for area control, if area control is your thing, um, I would have to go to either Rising Sun or Blood Rage. Um, Rising Sun being newer and and having a little bit more interplay between players uh, with the allies and stuff. Um, But the the theme for those two games is definitely there. Um, And if, and I know we didn't talk about this before we were recording, but if deck building is your interest uh my favorite deck builder is actually thunderstone uh thunderstone advanced was the first deck builder that i was like oh deck building is more than just random card draws <laughs> uh <laughs> and because you know you you're obtaining things you're promoting cards which is similar to um path of light and shadow uh, and you're also fighting through the wilderness uh and uh, Thunderstone Advanced has a new version out, and there's actually another one on Kickstarter um, that just got just went live recently, I believe. I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool game. I don't know if you've played that one. I have not. Well, it's another one for the list. Yeah, I, I mean, apparently, if I like Path of Light and Shadow, I should check it out. So you should, you should definitely. <laughs> well, there you go. And that's our review of Path of Light and Shadow. Great. Well, thanks for listening. Uh, we're as exciting to give you a more disparate review today of Path and Light and Shadow. Um, just a couple of announcements. We would just wanted to throw some support over to our friends at Hipline Industries, Josh and Kyle, who launched, yeah. launched the Gamma Grunts Kickstarter. Uh, I think I looked at it this morning and they were 70-80% funded. So it runs through September 13th. Check it out. It's a super fun game and Josh and Kyle are amazing people. So go check. It's Deck Smash, which is on point for our, you know, amalgamation of deck builders today. There you go. We're on brand. Yes. Go with the theme. Go with... (laughs) I see what you did there. But yeah, absolutely. Check out their Kickstarter. It looks uh, it looks fantastic. Also, WashingCon still going to be happening. Still September 8th and 9th and still in need of volunteers. So if you want to get your free badge, go ahead and head over to WashingCon.com. You can sign up for a volunteer shift. They love their volunteers. Uh, everyone who has volunteered in the past has been just absolutely fantastic. And it's really those people and that community who makes the convention what it is you know that's what makes it such a welcoming really just fun place to be yeah i'm pretty stoked uh, and come say hi to us because we'll be there heck yeah uh volunteering actually and i think i'm coordinating volunteers for a portion of the time this year so come you say think hi to me yes it's still a little squishy but i've been too busy to help with a lot of the planning but i will be there for the entirety of the two days so there you go hunter will be teaching games no doubt I, yeah, that's that's his natural habitat. Cool. Well, yeah, come on by, come see us, head over to washington.com to get registered, and join us next week for shenanigans. Absolutely. Some kind of shenanigans. <laughs>